The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Well, today is the 31st of July 2018 and I want to talk a little bit today, tonight, about uh, mainly about humility, also about diligence. These really are two um, essential ingredients of Zen practice. Uh, what, what we mean by diligence is, is, is the kind of effort we make in our practice and in our lives. It needs to be um, strong and it needs to be consistent, but also wise. It needs to be wise effort. And wise effort relies in large part on humility. So I'd like to look at this, this, um, this quality, this attitude of humility tonight. And I'll be reading some, some paragraphs from uh, one of Master Sheng Yen's books, uh, Shattering the Great Doubt, and using those as, as um, kind of jumping off points for talking about um, this quality of humility. Master Cheng Yen says, um, humility can be understood from two points of view. First, there is the humility that comes when we recognize that we often create vexations for ourselves as well as, as, well as for others. We bring suffering to others while perpetuating our own negativity. The second aspect of humility refers to those things we could have done better at but have not. We feel shame for not doing better. From these two standpoints, we then reflect on why we should feel humble. And we're going to look into this in a moment, but before we do, I wanted to just explore one third cause or reason for our, our being humble. Um, which is just as profound as the ones that um, Master Sheng Yin mentions here. And, and this, third, um, this third aspect of it, I'd like to just um, look into it um, based on a film that, that Rich and I saw yesterday and called Lucky. This was um, Harry Dean Stanton's last film, um, made, made poignant by the fact that he, he died shortly after it was finished. And in this film, people, people most of you would know who Harry Dean Stanton is. He's this um, a gaunt actor with a, um, when his face is at rest, it's, it's, it's a face with a lot of sadness in it and a lot of soul. And um, he's, he's the main character in this film. He live, he's living in a small town in somewhere in southern Arizona. And it's really quite a simple story that is told. Um, it it it's, um, de depicts Lucky's daily routines and his, his interacting with the people in the town. We see him waking up. Um, uh, turning on his radio next to his bed, lighting his first cigarette of the day, 
and then and then um, managing that cigarette while washing and shaving and dressing and doing his exercises his looks like downward facing dog and other things that he does and then walking into town uh, going to a cafe sitting in the cafe and drinking coffee and and filling in his crossword puzzle interacting with the with the staff in the cafe and then going to the grocer's shop to buy his milk and coming back home to watch game shows and do more crosswords on his on his couch and we see this this sequence happen more than once and uh, he's pretty he's pretty um, He's likable character, but at the same time, quite kind of cantankerous, big prickly. Um, obviously, has a few different chips on his shoulders. One's about a, not being able to smoke inside anymore. Um, but then one day, um, in the midst of this, this his routine, um, when he's he's staring at the broken clock on his coffee maker, which just reads twelve noon, um, he's staring at this at this. Um, this LED light and he has a kind of dizzy spell and falls down in his kitchen and um, after this happens he, he, he he's, he's alright, he, he manages to get himself to the doctor who gives him all kinds of tests and exams and everything and in the end the doctor is kind of a um, straight talking western doctor, he says basically lucky you're getting old and, and that's the diagnosis And Lucky, um, Lucky's okay, but he's he's kind of um, he's kind of thrown by this, and the and the rest of the film is really it's like a just a it's a very gentle, um, not blatant exploration of Lucky's coming to terms with his own mortality, with his um, with his death and. His, and uh, just loss of, of, of all the things you lose as you grow old. And at a certain point, he falls into a depression and we see him about to start his morning ritual of the sequence that he goes through each day, but he can't face it. He can't face the world and he, he um, uh, puts himself back to bed uh, and doesn't get up. And later the same day, a waitress, um, compassionate waitress from a cafe, comes over to his place to check on him and see if he's there. And something allows Lucky to open up um, her, 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 just her attitude, her um, warmth, and um, he he says to her, he may, he. he confesses to this um, friend, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And it's a, it's a moment of, of real humility, uh, of opening up um, to really what he's afraid of, which is not knowing what is going to happen and what is going to be involved in in his dying, and of course, what is going to be happening after he dies. And so, in a sense, although what he's afraid of is is uh, 
the void. He manages to just face that void to some degree. And it's like a turning point in the story. Um, he begins to, to um, uh, subtly uh, soften and, and starts to um, accept what, what is going to happen or what is happening. Think here of the um, the the etymology of the word humility. It's it comes from a meaning close to the earth, and of course it's related to the, our word human, which literally means a creature of the earth. We we each emerge out of out of the earth and return to it as the. Um, the lines from the Christian funeral um, service say, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. And we really need to, to face the fact of impermanence uh, personally, not just as a, an abstraction or as a teaching from, of, uh, of Buddhism, uh, but really face it in terms with what it means for us personally, existentially, that we are going to die. And another theme running through the, the, the film is a friend of Lucky's who's lost a pet, a hundred-year-old um, tortoise. So it's not only the fact of our own impermanence, but the fact that we lose uh, those we love and not only ourselves but the, the ones we love are just a matter of a breath away from death and so how we relate to each other in facing this this aspect of our, the truth of our existence how we relate to other to each other becomes an urgent matter and of course, also how we relate to ourselves moment by moment. This routine that we've seen in the film of, of um, Lucky getting up, lighting a cigarette, putting on the radio. All of us have our, our routines and we have to find, we have to uh, find in ourselves the kind of the resources to keep going, to keep living. So that's where practice can be so helpful in, in um, helping us to, to be able to do these simple actions, these routine actions, uh, from a place that is full of life rather than, than uh, um, as just going through the motions. We can transform um, washing ourselves from being just um, something we have to do to being um, the form of our meditation or eating or, or buying groceries, how we react 
and interact with uh, the people we meet. So now going back to, to Master Sheng Yin, talking about, about humility in terms of our, our, our causing suffering and for ourselves and others. And just to, to now look at this in the light of impermanence, the fact that we could, this, any meeting that we have with anybody could be the last one we have. And so it becomes how we how we relate really is becomes very urgent. It becomes um, a compelling uh, question to ask ourselves in, in um, every day. Really, those without shame or humility will continue to create vexations and negativities for themselves and others. They shun their responsibilities while seeking benefits for themselves. And this, and of course, this is, these are just the things that we um, will, will really regret, where, where we have not fulfilled our responsibilities or where we've, we've um, sought some kind of benefit for ourselves or, or wished ill on others. When people die, these are the things that 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 um, can be really painful. Because once somebody's gone, then then uh, we can't make the same kind of amends. If we are humble, our thoughts, actions, and speech can become purer. Otherwise, we continue to be mired in vexation. Humility also gives rise to other virtues such as faith and confidence. This makes it easier to generate the aspiration to enlightenment and to nourish renunciation. Therefore, diligence and humility go hand in hand in the practice of the Bodhisattva way of life, the way of wisdom and compassion. This word renunciation can um, sometimes be a sticking point for people, and it can be it can be misunderstood. Um, it can sound like we have to uh, give up everything. So um, it's important to understand what it means, and to ask ourselves, well, what is it that we um, are being called upon to renounce, and if we look, if we look at the teaching, the teaching is that um, our suffering is uh, comes from our attachments. In fact, if we're suffering, if we're in any situation, if we're suffering, we can be sure that somewhere in that we're attached. And that attachment is in some way threatened or pressured. And it can be negative attachment or positive attachment, both 
uh, hold, trying to hold on to the things that we we like and uh, to keep at bay the things that we don't like. So if we're suffering, we're attached. But that doesn't mean we have to renounce our relationships. Say, say we're suffering because somebody close to us has died. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have had that relationship. What we need to renounce, rather, is our expectation that the relationships that we have will last forever. That we'll not be parted from those we love, which is inevitable. One way or another, we'll be parted. All meetings end in partings. So you could say it's our, it's our, it's our arrogance and our stubbornness to expect that we can live in a world of, of, of everything lasting, a lasting world and lasting pleasures, as somebody put it. Uh, the great uh, sage Padmasambhava said, This life passes as quickly as autumn clouds. Family and friends are like passers-by in the marketplace. The demon of death approaches like twilight's shadows. What the future holds is like a translucent fish in cloudy waters. In other words, unknowable. Life's experiences are like last night's dreams. The pleasures of the senses, like an imaginary party. Meaningless activities are like waves lapping on the surface of the water. We get, a, we get caught up on the surface of this water, this alluring, um, these alluring waves, and we can miss the depths. Well, Master Dogen, he said, those who practice Buddhism must deeply, deeply feel the passing nature of things and have faith in karma. Shingyan continues, it is because we lack humility that we have vexations, and it is because we have no shame that we shun responsibility. When we lack humility, we will have conflicts within ourselves, and we will inflict suffering on others. If we are hum humble, we recognize our own vexations, and we know when we stray off the Dharma path. When we vex others, we know we have strayed from compassion. Without humility, we cannot recognize our shortcomings or our inability to practice Dharma. Therefore, humility is very much related to not harming oneself or others. It is wisdom if you can avoid internal conflicts, and it is compassion when you can avoid hurting others. So these two sides, these two wings of the bird, you always need to have both there. So wisdom 
in not creating inner suffering for ourselves and compassion when we avoid um, hurting others. So wisdom, compassion and humility, the three are all related. When we act humbly, other people see us, may see us as weak and try to take advantage. Or if we do not fulfill their needs, they may accuse us of lacking compassion. How can you consider yourself a Buddhist, they might say. In such cases, we should use wisdom to not give them an opportunity to create bad karma, and we should not create any bad karma ourselves. So we respond appropriately with wisdom and with compassion. If we cannot help such a person, we should be ashamed that we lack the wisdom to respond appropriately. So here he's really just, um, he's just making sure we understand that this is not, not a teaching that says we've got to be um, a doormat in some kind of way. We don't need to um, allow ourselves to be exploited or, or manipulated by others. Um, but the other point he makes here is an, is, a, is an important one too, is that we can encounter we can encounter aggressive or difficult people in our lives, and and there are different ways of um, thinking about them. But one of the ways that is a is sort of a more of a dharma perspective is that. Um, if we're unable to deal with a difficult person or aggressive person, a manipulative person, um, we can take that as a motivation to cultivate wisdom. Um, we can see our limits in being able to, to work with people like that and, and develop the aspiration to um, become more wise and more able to deal with um, difficult people. Um, also talking about, about what real compassion is, um, the, the, the more we can um, squarely face our own vulnerability in the face of, of, our, of our basic ignorance or in the face of, of um, this impermanence, then that, to that degree we'll be able to be more sensitive to others who are um, struggling in the, in the same ways. And when we get down deeper, we find the same, the same concerns. Um, we find that, that, that vulnerability, the fear of, of, of death, of, of loss. Um, it's, it's there um, in everyone and um, not very far under the surface with, with aggressive, with arrogant people. It's right there. Continuing. People think humility is a feeling of inferiority or low self-esteem. They think that being humble means that one is worthless. This is not a correct understanding. On the contrary, from a genuine feeling of humility, self-confidence can be established. Another important point. 
from a genuine feeling of humility, self-confidence can be established. This self-confidence comes from the recognition of what one truly is. Thus, being humble, one can be more diligent in correcting and in improving oneself. Furthermore, a sense of inferiority can lead to a flightiness and instability, whereas humility grounds oneself in a true perspective. One recognizes and understands one's mistakes and shortcomings. One's character becomes more stable, down to earth, with an air of solidity. In Chinese terms, you could say that one's qi flows subtly downward as opposed to an insecure person whose qi is floating and unsettled. I think we've all probably met people where we have the sense of a kind of, a kind of stability. And it can come out of really just knowing oneself. And that includes knowing what our limits are right now in this, in this moment. Um, and if we, if we have that, that sense, then um, we, can, we can make decisions out of that place of, of stability. It's a little bit like those um, those uh, roly-poly toys um, used to be you'd be able to get them. I don't know if they're still around, but have a face of clown and um, uh, a, a weight in a round bottom uh, of the of the toy, and you you could just push the 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 toy, and it would go down, and it would just come back up again. You push it down, it would come back up again because it was heavy at the bottom. So there's the quality of it's, it's bouncing back. Um, somebody who has this, this grounded quality can, um, is able to hear um, criticism, take it in. Um, sometimes, sometimes it can be very painful to have somebody reflect to you um, your blind spots or your shortcomings or ways in which you've let them down and um, but it's it's so essential that we can learn to listen in such situations and and really hear it's a really opportunity because our blind spots are our blind spots and we're very good at self-deception and very often our our most glaring shortcomings will be unknown to us unless we have other people um, give us feedback that we need to hear. And of course, the, the more we can actually hear what somebody is saying to us when giving negative feedback, then and can acknowledge their experience, even if it's different from our own experience of a situation, their experience is their experience, if we can really hear them, then that's a huge part of making amends. If we can, if we can um, communicate our regrets sincerely to somebody. OK. 
continues, closely related to uh, humility is repentance. People misunderstand repentance as being regret or resentment. For example, we aspire to something, but due to causes and conditions, we do not succeed. Not only that, we may suffer a loss or setback. As a result, we may feel regret or resentment, but this is not really repentance. If things do not turn out the way we want, it is due to causes and conditions, and there is no need to feel regretful or resentful. Because the outcome was not what we expected, we may decide out of resentment never to try again. The act itself was purposeful. It just turned out in an unexpected way. This is not to say that we should give up trying or that we should regret having done it. If food gets caught in your throat, it would be foolish to say, I'll never eat again. On the other hand, if we do something wrong and something that turns out and something that turns out not as, as expected, we should think about how we can do better next time. This is the true meaning of repentance, thinking through, introspecting and analyzing to find ways we can make corrections and improve. The true meaning of repentance is recognizing and correcting mistakes and shortcomings, not feeling bad about what happened in the past. And there is a, there is a, we talk a lot about getting beyond thought in Zen, but there is a place for this kind of um, introspecting. Just, just looking into what happened and trying to be clear about it so that we can um, correct uh, mistakes, change behaviors. Um, it's, it's helpful to distinguish between, between um, guilt and re, uh, repentance. Guilt is generally uh, unhelpful. This feeling, just feeling bad because of something you have done and also feeling that you are a bad person. Um, turning, turning, solidifying what's happened into um, who you are is very unhelpful. Atonement, on the other hand, um, trying to repair or um, restore what, when a wrong has happened um, can be very healing. And um, it may not be possible for that atonement to happen directly to the person involved. Um, Ajahn Brahm tells a story of, of a young woman who um, had a car accident her boyfriend was the passenger. Uh, I think she, I don't remember the details, but she was maybe intoxicated. And um, so somebody he met in Australia. And uh, she, the, her boyfriend died in the accident. And she was, was uh, full of, of remorse. And, and as a way of, of, of atoning for the, what happened, she spent many years volunteering in the, her local A&E department, um, seeing, of course, again and again, um, people who had been through terrible car accidents.
so he, he talks quite a little bit more about about repentance and um, and goes on to tell to, to tell a story some of you may have heard this I think I've told it before um, perhaps in Sashin he says um, sometimes someone whom you have offended only wants justice and if you refuse to recognize your error this just makes matters worse they will come after you even more do you know what you did to me? And you say, no, I did not do anything wrong. At some point, they may come after you with even more anger just to prove you wrong and get their justice. But if you showed some repentance, the situation could change for the better. And of course, this applies in, in um, not only at the individual level, but um, between groups of people too. And other, you know, the basis for uh, various processes that have happened, truth and reconciliation processes around the world. So he says, if you showed some repentance, the situation could change for the better. And the the essence of being able to show repentance is to be able to listen to the person who feels aggrieved. And then he tells a story. Uh, once I observed a man who was in a great rush. He was holding several bags, and as he ran, ran through this crowded place, his bags were bumping into people. He hit one particular man very hard, but just kept going. That fellow who was hit ran up to him and grabbed him. You bumped into me and did not even apologize. The man with the bags replied, I didn't run into you. Get out of my way. I'm in a hurry. The man who was hit was furious. Not only do you not apologize for running into me, you're denying it. Previously, the man with the bags was in a hurry to get somewhere. Now, because he was unable to admit his fault, he was wasting time arguing. Witnessing all this, I went up to both of them and said, I saw you hit the man with the bag, but it was unintentional. The man with the bags turned around and said, You, who are you? Just because you say I hit him with a bag, it doesn't mean I really did it. Calmly, I replied, First of all, you obviously want to get somewhere very quickly, and yet you run into people. Do not admit your mistake, and now you're stuck here wasting time. So, all you have to do is apologize sincerely, and everything will be over. And the man sighed, Okay, this is my unlucky day, I'm sorry. And because he said it in such a self-pitying tone, the man who got run into said, your unlucky day, my unlucky day. And then they started quarreling again. And I continued being the middleman. If you said with a sincerity, I apologize, I was in a hurry, are you okay? Is there any other thing you would like me to do? Then you could be on your way. The man with the bags replied, I'm not going to say that. I said, if you're not going to say that, then as things go on like this, you'll end up in the police station. And just to assure you, I will be the witness. And he said, you can't do that. You're a monk. And I said, yes, monks do good deeds like this. And then he said, OK, OK, fine. I, ap I apologize. Please forgive me. And then he added, have pity on me. I'm in a hurry, and I hope everything is fine with you. Please let me go. I beg you. I have to go now. 
So the man just let this fellow go. And after he left, I said to the man that got run into, well, you see this day as your unlucky day, but maybe you can learn a lesson from it. The point of the story is that repentance can alleviate suffering because we recognize our mistakes and aspire to change. And because of this attitude, we can alleviate karma. The other person may be only looking for justice. And once we can recognize our, mis our mistakes, they may forgive us. Besides the kind of the kind of moral of the story that that Shengyin offers here, we can we can just appreciate this this story as as an image, because uh, quite often we can be like like this man in the story, rushing around um, trying to get where we think we need to go, and and unaware of the fact that we've got all these bags hanging off us, which are um, colliding with people various bits of baggage colliding with somebody here, somebody there. And and that our so often our, our haste and our and the heedlessness that goes with us actually slows us down and creates more friction and so we're not things are not flowing for us. And anyhow, on top of that, besides the baggage that we carry and the and the and the collisions that we cause we're all going to die. We're all going to die. What becomes important if we really understand that? If we look at, we can look around this room and, and, and say that none of us, a hundred years from now, it's likely that, that none of us will be around. We certainly won't be in our present form. But then that is a case for tomorrow as well. We won't be the same tomorrow as we are today. The Huay um, Nung, the um, sixth ancestor, said something very interesting about impermanence. And this is quoted in, in a, something from Dogen. He said, impermanence is itself Buddha nature. Permanence is the discriminating mind. It's this fact of impermanence is actually our true nature. It's the functioning of Buddha nature. Permanence is something we create with our thoughts, that we fabricate in an effort to kind of to stop the flow of everything that is going on around us. There's this huge, we have this huge resistance to really facing impermanence. 
which is an, is just another way of talking about about emptiness that nothing has a fixed um, abiding self we can't pin anything down say this is it because of this flowing nature of things Salman Rushdie um, said this about about how stubborn we are in our, our effort to avoid the truth. He says, what is the most powerful impulse of human beings in the face of night, of danger, of the unknown? It is to run away, to avert the eyes and flee, to pretend the menace is not loping towards them in seven-league boots. It is the will to ignorance, the iron folly with which we excise from consciousness whatever consciousness cannot bear. No need to invoke the ostrich to give this impulse a symbolic form. Humanity is more willfully blind than any flightless bird. So, so we can we can say that our um, we have many re good reasons to to um, develop humility. Not only not only our, because of our shortcomings, our mistakes, but just because of our our, f our fundamental impermanence and stubborn ignorance that we um, apply to that impermanence and not wanting to really um, see it and and live out of that place of of a groundlessness and just um, to finish with um, a few lines by um, a great uh, 13th century poet Rumi. Today, like every other day, we wake up empty and scared. Don't open the door of your study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the earth. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I vow to uproot uh, 
Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.